We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Today, I am very excited to have Katie Novak, who is an internationally renowned education consultant, as well as a practicing assistant superintendent in Massachusetts. She's wrote a bunch of books, has a doctorate, and recently published a book called Innovate Inside the Box, which she wrote with George Kuros, focusing on the implementation of the innovator's mindset and universal design for learning. So Katie, welcome and thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Thanks so much for having me. So I am really excited to talk to you. As I told you before, I'm a big fan and I love I love universal design for learning, even though I came at it from a way not knowing what it was until after I was already implementing it. And it's one of those great moments where you do something and you're like, oh, there's other people who aren't crazy and think we need to do this. So can you first start by talking a little bit about what UDL is and why it's so important? Yeah, sure. So um, the term universal design for learning was borrowed or stolen, however you want to (laughs) phrase it, (laughs) from architecture, which is essentially uh, there's an architect named Ron Mace who was really thinking about this concept of how do we create buildings that truly meet the needs of anybody who could ever come into them. And so what ended up happening is, you know, we're having this huge push kind of at a national level to make federally, uh, all federal buildings really accessible to everybody. And Ron Mace was called in to do all this retrofitting, you know, putting these ramps on the outside and kind of busting up buildings to create elevators. And, you know, he basically is like, this is silly. Like we know that there's variability among 
humans. And we know that there's going to be some people who are going to have these mobility issues or vision impairments or hearing impairments. And like, why wouldn't we just proactively design a building that would work for all people? And so that same kind of thought process goes into universal design for learning, which is, you know, we have all of these goals for students, you know, sometimes there's things we want them to know. And sometimes there's things we want them to do. And the traditional model of education was basically like, well, this is the one way to do it. And that was really blind to the fact that we know students are going to come in and they're going to face barriers to their learning. You know, some students might not have the background knowledge or the vocabulary. Some students might have difficulty self-regulating or collaborating. And, And when we know that this is true, why wouldn't we just design a flexible lesson from the beginning that allows access and entry points for all students? And so, you know, a lot of people look at the UDL framework and it, it talks about things like the importance of scaffolding and the importance of providing opportunities to get feedback and collaborate. And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm already doing that. But the reality is, is we're doing a lot of that as retrofits for like really inaccessible learning experiences. And so, you know, kids aren't learning and then it's like, oh gosh, you know, maybe I have to give this kid a graphic organizer or maybe I have to reteach this or, you know, maybe I have to give this kid something else. And um, an analogy that I use is basically to talk about kind of like a, a dinner party in that if I were to say like, hey, what's going on? I'm coming over with like 25 friends. I'm going to make a dinner. Can you please make something they're all going to like? your first thing's going to be like, well, what do they like? And I'm going to be like, oh, it really depends on the day. You know, people have a lot of stuff going on. Context really matters. I'm not sure what they'd be in the mood for that night. And so given that background, you would never in a billion years make a casserole. Like you would know that that wouldn't work because a casserole is so one size fits all. And if you served a casserole, you're going to have a bunch of people who are like, I literally can't eat that. Like I I have a dietary restriction, you know, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't eat that. And then you're going to have other people who are like, that's gross. I'm not eating it. And so the only way to really meet the needs of, of various diners is to have options and choices for people to kind of decide how they're going to create a meal. And the same thing is true in classrooms. You know, if if we want students to, you know, solve an algebraic equation, some of them will need to work in small groups or use manipulatives or have a math reference sheet or have a visual model or have a calculator. And that should just be on a buffet for anybody to access just as we would do in a restaurant. And so when we think about the fact that we're trying to design something that works for this mythical average learner that, that doesn't, doesn't exist, then we recognize that we're always going to be modifying and retrofitting something that is inherently broken by design. Um, And if we step back and we embrace the fact that we have these beautiful, beautiful, diverse kids in front of us who have different needs, then we're going to design something that works for all of them from the get-go. And that means there are multiple pathways, there are multiple options, there are multiple scaffolds, um, and we really empower students to self-differentiate their own learning. Yeah, that that is so incredibly powerful. And I love that analogy of you know, if you have a bunch of people over to eat, you're not going to just serve casserole and say, that's all great, especially if you don't know those people before they walk into your house. And so, you know, when I first started thinking about this, this way, I was teaching in a urban school with high levels of minority students that, you know, I didn't have any training or know how of how to reach them or connect with them. And, you know, my response was just, yeah, as an English teacher, you know, if they're going to write, they're going to enjoy writing about something that they know about more than writing about this, you know, piece of literature that 
that only I'm interested in. And so, you know, that was our my first exposure to that was was giving them an opportunity to write about something that they were interested in. And my teacher, my peer teachers at the time were like, well, you can't do that. These are the topics that they have to have for this writing test. And I said, okay, but my kids like don't care about any of those things that you're sharing, you know, and some of them don't even understand those things because they don't have that experience in their life. And, you know, even early on then I I knew there was something better. And uh, my daughter had just been born and she has Down syndrome. And the benefit for me is that I knew what challenges she would face, but we don't know what challenges every other kid faces. You know, uh, a child presenting him to, you know, to a class with Down syndrome, you know, there's going to be certain things that they probably are struggling with. But most of the times we have these kids in our class and we don't know what the issues are that they are facing. And we don't know exactly how to engage them or make them help them learn in that. And one of the things that I really like in the book Innovate Inside the Boxes is a chart that I know that you've used and are very familiar with, which talks about the multiple means of engagement, multiple means of representation, and multiple means of action and expression. And this was just, when I first saw this, was so succinctly put what I thought good teaching was. And I was shocked that that other people hadn't heard about this before. So you can, can you talk about those uh, multiple means sections a little bit and, and why those are so valuable? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the principles are really that, you know, there's three different puzzle pieces in our brain, essentially, or brain networks that have to be activated in order for learning to occur. And those, you know, that's the effective network, the recognition network, and the strategic network. And essentially, you know, all three of these things need to be like ramped up and ready. But the reality is, is what activates them is very, very different. And so, to activate the effective network, you have to engage a learner. And, and, you know, a lot of people think of engagement as like a fun meter. I think engagement is one of the most understood, um, misunderstood rather, uh, concepts in education because, you know, you walk into a classroom where kids are having fun and enjoying themselves and everyone's like, oh, they're so engaged. And the reality is, is engagement is equal parts attention and commitment. And this is where like social emotional learning becomes like a really integral part of UDL. Because when we talk about like, first of all, we have to make a goal really clear. And then we have to build in enough purpose and motivation to work towards that goal, no matter how difficult it may be, because we want students to be challenged. And so when we think about like a goal that's both, you know, that, that both shows interest and, and some level of commitment, it needs to be something that I buy into. It's relevant and authentic and meaningful enough that I buy in. And then I also have the ability to sustain effort and persistence to like use the resources available to go after it. And it also means I can self-regulate with that feeling of discomfort that comes with doing something that's a little bit challenging. And so engagement is actually pretty ugly um, because it actually requires like some grit and some perseverance and some struggle and some micro failure and some mistake making. And so when you think about what it takes to be really successful it takes a lot of problem finding and problem solving. And it takes some resilience because anyone who's really successful kind of kept going when everyone else tapped out and was like, no, you know what? Not for me. You know, I'm not really sure how to keep going and it's not worth it to me anyway. So how can we take what is every student's right to have and to build that fire in them to say like, this is worth knowing, like to build that interest and say like, 
you get to decide, you know, what you're going to write about, but learning how to write and to communicate is so important because you can convince people to do things and, you know, you can, you can essentially, um, you know, share what is uh, entertaining to you. And, and there's just so much power of language, but guess what? It's going to be hard to be a great communicator is hard. And so it's not only that I want to provide you with all these options to kind of personalize your learning to meet that goal, but I also have to give you a lot of options for how you're going to continue to persist when it gets challenging. And that's when we think about, you know, allowing them to work together, allowing them to get feedback, allowing them to use scaffolds. And then just this whole, what do you do when it feels like it's a little bit too out of reach? So what are our options for helping kids cope for mindfulness, for kind of their own internal self-regulation? Because the reason that we're building this in kids, you know, these multiple means of engagement is ultimately so they internalize when things get tough, I know how to deal with them. You know, when I really want something in my life and I have this goal, I recognize that it might be a long journey made up of a lot of micro failures, but that's what macro success looks like. And so the multiple means of engagement are recognizing all the different pieces that have to be available for kids in classes so that they're able to continue to work towards really rigorous goals and also so they can deal with that feeling. The other two are a little simpler, I guess you could say, because the recognition network, when we say we're going to provide multiple means of representation, it's just what are all the different opportunities and modalities we have to design so that every student can build comprehension. You know, students that struggle with language are going to need a lot of visuals. Students that struggle with visual perception are going to need a lot of, you know, different, you know, realia and and tactile experiences, you know, and opportunities to, to sit and talk through it. And so this is all about like, how do we create an opportunity so that we're making sure that our teaching is accessible. We can't only lecture. We can't only show videos. We can't only use a textbook, but we have to provide lots of options and choices so that every kid can build comprehension on their road to kind of meet that goal. And then the multiple means of action and expression piece is when we're looking at these standards, they're not requiring students to answer 10 math problems in 17 minutes. Like these are man-made you know, curriculum, one size fits all casserole things. You know, there's no state standard that says that like you must read The Great Gatsby or that you must do this exact science experiment. It's all about really allowing kids to recognize how to communicate what they know and how to show what they do using all of these different strategies. And so multiple means of engagement basically says, what options do we have to give So every student can show us that they actually met the goal. So when you're thinking about those three principles, it's like, how do we provide lots of opportunities for students to work towards really meaningful goals in ways that are challenging, but we have scaffolded the classroom so that they always can move forward. We've created an environment that they know how to cope, that they know how to regulate, that they know how to help each other, they know how to support each other. Um, How do we also provide so many different options for students to build their understanding? You know, they don't all learn at the same pace. They don't all learn at the same time and they don't all learn with the same structure. And so we just have to provide lots of different opportunities for them to kind of personalize their own journey. And then ultimately we have to provide them with lots of different ways that they can show us what they know. It doesn't have to be this, you know, really strict recipe of like, I will know if you're a good writer, if you can write the five paragraph essay for me about this book. Writing is so much bigger and more powerful than that. So it's, it's really about stepping back and recognizing that if we want kids to be learners and we want them to be innovators, we are much better um, slated to create options and choices and then help students facilitate their own journeys 
towards meeting the goals. And that's a very different classroom because it supports multiple formats and multiple tasks at the same time. And the reality, there's a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, like I'm totally doing UDL because the kids could choose this book or this book. That is, I guess, one tiny, like dipping your toe into UDL. But if every kid is not having a successful journey towards working towards goals that are meaningful, then it's not, it's not being done yet. And that's okay because teachers are learners too. And we have to try and fail on our journey to do that. Yeah, boy, that's that's a really powerful statement there at the end that if every kid's not choosing their own journey, then you're not doing it yet. I think that is so, so powerful. Going back to uh, the engagement piece, when I interviewed Seth Godin on this podcast, then he talked about enrollment as opposed to engagement, which is exactly what you said, is that it it signifies a that there's a commitment there and not just attention. You know, I I love technology and think that it's wonderful because it allows so many things, but I hate the idea of people justifying purchasing technology because kids are more engaged in technology because people like it's, it's such a cop-out. It's such a, such an excuse for what really needs to happen. They need to have a commitment to it just because the kid would rather be bored on a device than bored listening to a teacher doesn't mean that that's a, a good decision, right? And so, you know, we really have to have to do things that allow us to to see things in many different ways and experience them in different ways and be okay with that. And and the the question that I keep coming back to is how do we still meet the state standards by doing it in these different ways? And I, I have a disagreement about the state standards to begin with because somebody just said kids need to learn this. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those are good, but that's what we're judged against. So that's that's what we have to deal with. That's the box we're inside of, right? So so how do we how do we still meet those standards but still allow these kids to have all these different journeys to them? What does that look like? I mean, the standards are actually designed in a way that lends themselves very much to this work. And I mean, if you actually read the standards, there's an appendix called the Application for Students with Disabilities that says that every student can work towards grade level standards using the principles of universal design for learning. And a lot of people think about how do we how do we modify down to make it easier? And the UDL is how do we scaffold up to make it accessible and engaging? Because literally every single student has the absolute you know, has the privilege, you know, has, is born into like, because they show up at school, they should get access to a really well-designed, rigorous, engaging education. And so I was an English teacher like you, so I, I can speak much more eloquently about ELA than anything else. But, you know, the standards say things like you have to be able to understand how a character develops over the course of a text. And, you know, it doesn't say you have to know how Scrooge develops in the Christmas Carol drama written by Israel Horovitz, right? And a lot of the times you'll have classrooms that say, oh, we're working on the standard. We're working on characterization. And then every kid has this hard copy of a book in front of them, um, which automatically discounts you know, a student who struggles with decoding or English language learners or, you know, students who you know, have visual perception issues. It's just an inaccessible piece of, of, you know, it's like, it's, it's an artifact. That's it. Right. And so in, in my loyalty to that book, I am choosing to exclude students and the standard that is not on standard. That's on me. 
because I can create an environment where every student understands how characters change. I might have access to a mini lesson using grade level text that we say, you can listen to it. You can come over here with me in a small group. I'll read it. I'll act it out. You can read it silently, but we're all going to have the shared experience reading this text together in whatever way is accessible to you if you need to translate it. And then you're going to choose something that like you care about that's culturally responsive, that's linguistically appropriate. And and we're going to go back and forth talking about like what we learned about how characters, actions, thoughts, and feelings change, but you're going to do it with your character. And we're going to have these amazing conversations and and we're going to share, like you can come in and be your character. You can sketch it out in a comic book, but like that is what the standard wants us to do is the question is I need every kid to understand how a character changes throughout a text and, and the question is, what do I have to do so every single student can do that? And um, a lot of the times we um, in education like to compartmentalize kids. So, you know, like, you know, my own daughter, you know, significantly struggles. She has combined type ADHD and she has a mood disorder as well. And, you know, my daughter who, you know, has a disability and who is a special education student is not the property of the special education department. Right. You know, all of our kids are amazing, amazing individuals who are at at first, that everyone is a general ed student first. And if we have to supplement special education because it's their right, then that's amazing. But the reality is, is if you look at any state's educator evaluation system, you're looking at a standard that says teaching all students. And it doesn't say teach students who arrive ready to learn, teach students who can learn in the one size fits all carceral way, you know, reach students who learn the standard in the way that you would prefer to teach the standard. Like it's teaching all kids, period, end of story. And, you know, if, if we can't do that, the system is responsible for providing better professional learning. So teachers know how to do that. But one of the things that is a little heartbreaking to me is I was presenting in a, a state conference recently and I was looking at the state data and I was putting up the state data and basically, you know, overall in the state, 50% of students are proficient. Um, when you're looking at your students with disabilities, you know, you're lower than 20%. You know, you're looking at your your black African-American youth, your Hispanic Latino youth, you know, you're looking, you know, again, pretty low. And then there was this, this category that was called T and T is 98% proficient. And, um, everyone's like, Oh, who's the T subgroup? I'm like, those are the teachers. So we've created this model (laughs) that literally in our country, 98% of teachers are proficient when only 38% of students are. And all of those teachers are being evaluated on teaching all students. Mm-hmm. And I'm not pointing fingers at teachers. I'm pointing, I'm pointing fingers at systems. Exactly. Because a system has to create professional learning. So teachers have the um, capacity and the culture to meet the needs of all students. And when they don't, that's a systemic issue um, that is much higher up than teachers who are breaking their backs, doing everything they know how to do for kids. So, you know, it was a really interesting kind of like aha moment of how can we literally say that 98% of teachers are proficient when we, when we can't get 40% of our kids to learn at grade level. Uh, there's a mismatch there. And we have to not only support our kids better, but we sure as heck have to support our teachers better because like, no one is changing student achievement if it's not teachers. Like if you don't have faith in teachers, why have faith in anything? Because like, I'm going to put my faith into teachers before I'm going to put it into curriculum or standards or a test. And we're just not providing great universally designed professional learning to teachers either. So that's something that I kind of look at is the best way that, that principals and district leaders like ourselves 
can help kids is to do the same thing we know is good in classrooms in our professional learning. Yeah, you know, that's that's absolutely right. And so this is, you know, this podcast is one of those things that I think helps make a well-rounded education for adults in that, you know, we are we're meeting the needs of those who are in front of us, those who are listening and and paying attention to this and they're seeking out, you know, how do I meet the needs of all kids more effectively? And, you know, one of the one of the things that you said as you were talking that really resonated with me is that idea that all kids are our kids. And my first year at my school last year or the year before last year, I had teachers would talk about kids and that teacher's kids or the special ed kids or the ELL kids or whatever. And they didn't ever talk about them as their own kids. The general ed teachers didn't. And it wasn't until we said we're going to be inclusion first, which means general ed students first, like you said, and then if we need additional assistance, then we'll we'll take advantage of that through special ed or ELL tutors or whatever it is. And once we made that that big shift in how we looked at the kids and looked at all kids first, then we started having general ed teachers say, well, I'm having a hard time meeting the needs of mm-hmm. one of my students. And for them to finally say that, Katie, was just amazing because it's not like they were bad kids, but they, because of how our system was, not bad teachers, because of how our system was set up, those kids were somebody else's, not mine. Mm-hmm. But when we said, no, all kids are our kids, every single one we're going to meet the needs of, that's when they start to turn and say, wait, I'm struggling meeting the needs of one of my students and I need to do something about it. And when you said you'd put the faith in teachers before curriculum, amen, sister, because those (laughs) teachers, it didn't take long, Katie, and they automatically turned and said, this is my student also. And I'm going to do something to help this kid, even though I have no stinking idea because I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to go find someone who can help me. And when we give them permission to do that, because they never had permission before to think they were their own kids, then they really made the effort and they went and helped them. And I got to tell you, Katie, the growth we saw in the teachers and in the kids was just inspiring. I loved it. Yeah, no, it's it's the same way. The teachers I work with, they, you know, I am so not worthy of, of working yeah. with them. Like at times it's the job of teachers today is just, it blows my mind how many different layers have been added on since I left the classroom seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, it is, it's, it's when we see, when we see growth, it's like we provided the professional development and the space and the autonomy. And yes, we provided them with the resources that they need, you know, access to technology, access to curriculum, but nobody's turning around a district based on, you know, buying a curriculum. If you don't have a culture where teachers are engaged and empowered and enrolled, as you said, Seth Godin said, in, in saying, you know what, like, this is my life's work. This is my craft. It is not, I'm not going to name a bunch of curriculum companies because I'm not going to call them out like that. But like the curriculum companies don't know our kids and they, they don't design for all of our kids. And it's a beautiful foundation. Just like I would give a contractor some really great tools, but the tools aren't going to build the house. And the same is true kind of in our classrooms and in our schools is like, yes, we have to invest in curriculum. Yes. We understand that the standards are a necessary part of what we're doing that's the box, but like, there's no magic in the box. If you don't have, you know, relationships with teachers and students that are, are meaningful and, and teachers who are given the support 
to fail. Because again, any success in this universe requires a little bit of failure. And you know, you have to try things, you have to take risks. And when George and I wrote um, Innovate Inside the Box, that's really what we're saying is, is you have to create a system where it's okay to try things. We know that what we're doing is not working. And we're taking a chance sometimes on unknown betters. And as administrators, we have to say, just like I would say to my students, try it. And if there's data that shows that it's not effective, then we'll try something else. But so often we align our practice to what some research article said was the best thing for a district that was very different than ours. And we take the basic autonomy and creativity away from our teachers who, again, are our only hope of, of really changing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is so true. And, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I think that it's incredibly valuable. And one of one of the aspects of that is like in my district, for example, our proficiency scores on the state assessment are below 50 percent all across the board. Our graduation rate is 75 percent. Like, honestly, what do we have to lose by doing something different? Right. You know, I mean, we're already failing at a miserable rate as it is what have we got to lose by by trying to do something different you know throwing out that curriculum and really focusing on the people in front of us both the teachers and the students i i don't think that we have as much to lose as we sometimes feel like we do now if we had 100% pass rate on our state assessments it would be a totally different story but we're not even close to that so so let's not let's not worry too much about you know changing things because We've got so far to go to grow. So, Katie, the the last question I ask is, what is one thing a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Oh gosh, I well, I would say you don't want to don't want to be me. Be better than me. Okay, so this is <laughs> this. I know it has to fit in a bumper sticker, and I know you said one thing, but my one thing stories are like this because I'm just a talker. So <laughs> there you go. I would say. One of the most important things I could say is that in a classroom, I believe in co-creation. I believe that students should have a huge voice in the design of curriculum. So here's my advice. As a leader, I think the best thing that could ever happen is to really work with teachers to kind of co-create professional learning and school improvement plans and district improvement plans, because these are people who are on the ground doing the work. And I think that too often... Decisions are made um, without their voices present. And so, you know, I have made a, a million missteps in my career and I continue to do that all the time. But I think one of the things that I have done that has been, I've never regretted ever is creating big committees, which are significantly heavier with teachers and administrators to create our school and district improvement plans, to work with us on data analysis, to create all professional development offerings. And, you know, if we're talking about the importance of, you know, allowing for personalization, we have to make sure that our improvement plans and our turnaround plans at schools are not big fat casseroles that we're serving up to teachers. And, you know, to, to provide everybody with an opportunity to have their voices heard, you know, to say, okay, look, this is what the data says. We know it's not great. What are we together going to do to fix it? And I think when those voices are present, you you build the enrollment, you build the engagement, you build the empowerment, and then teachers become innovators and in really changing the systems that, you know, they're really the cogs uh, that are keeping things moving. Yeah. Wow. That That's really powerful. 
So Katie, again, is the co-author of Innovate Inside the Box with George Kuros. And how would you like people to connect with you, Katie? I'm on Twitter at Katie Novak UDL, and I'm on the the old internet, the old www <laughs> at novakeducation.com. And, you know, I'm super happy to connect. I'm super happy to, you know, to talk and kind of, you know, just I, I spread the message that we've got to believe in kids. We've got to believe in teachers. And when that doesn't go well, they know the system has to be universally designed to better support the people who the matter the most. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much. All the links to everything we talked about can be found at transformativeprincipal.org, including a link to her website and her Twitter account. And thank you again so much, Katie, for being part of Transformative Principal. My pleasure. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.